This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into sports mem... No, I said sports. If you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. They got everything from signed wrestling figures to signed sports memorabilia, comic books, anything you need or want, it is there. They ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Resident Evil, Final Fantasy VI, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything that makes you feel great. They have it there. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition at LegacySubs.com. And if you want to support me directly and monetarily, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs, anything you need or want. It is literally there. But the easiest thing, the most important thing, the best thing you should be doing each and every week if you haven't done so already is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is a sports writer who has written for the Hockey News, Globe and Mail, the Toronto Sun, and Sports Illustrated, to name just a few. He is also an author and the co-founder of Slam Wrestling, Greg Oliver. Thanks for having me on the show. That, that leaves out a lot when you just say it like that, but uh, I've been yeah a journalist for... Well, since I was about 14 or 15. So, yeah, there's a lot of things I've done over the years. I could only imagine, and I'm sure we're going to delve right into everything. Okay, you you said right after about journalism. What actually, you have your degree in journalism. What was the goal early on in your career for getting your journalism, and what did you want to cover? I just always loved reading the newspaper, and while I was in high school in Kitchener, Ontario, I got a chance to 
work at the Kitchen Waterloo Record, as it was then called. Okay. And that was an overnight position, so I didn't actually see a lot of action. Um, I was in the sports department, and it was an afternoon paper, so it was getting calls about the, the local hockey games or the oh, nice. whatever the um, the inter-county league team may have done, the Panthers. So there wasn't really big stories, but it was enough to whet my appetite, and then certainly okay. uh, I started my wrestling newsletter as a teenager too, oh, nice. coinciding with... Um, you know, the arrival of a personal computer in our house and a <laughs> desktop publishing program. And, you know, the rest, as they sort of say, is history. So I knew right away I was going to do journalism. I never had any question that I'd get into the places I applied. And sure enough, I got into all of them. And I'm glad I went to Ryerson University, as it was then known. Right. Actually, it was Ryerson Polytechnical Institute. Even better. Uh, now, of course, it's a TMU. Should have been TMI. But it's all good. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you said you wrote wrestling articles and stuff as a teenager. What was the first sport that you got into once you got your degree? Oh, nothing. That's the weird thing. Is, okay. Um, I, I ended up at Ryerson and I ended up working at the Toronto Sun. Okay. And I did about, I think I counted once, about 13 different jobs at the Sun. And then I moved into Canoe when that launched, the website uh, for the Sun Media newspapers. Right. But at the Sun itself, I never worked in sports. So, I mean, I worked That's in nice. entertainment and lifestyle and okay. the library and advertorial, all these different places, but I never sure. worked in sports. And sure enough, at uh, when I got to Canoe, I got a chance to do more wrestling, but also some other sports things too. And I, I'm really fortunate to have gotten to do so many things over the years. And it's and it all really stems from that time of the Sun where they, obviously the newspaper had a huge passion for sports in general. Right. And it really stoked that in me. And, you know, life has twists and turns. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome to be able to say I'm a sports writer too. Yeah, and I remember even as a teenager, I was notorious to getting the, the Toronto Sun all the time because it was the sports section. Like you had everything in there. And then even the entertainment section started getting better and all that. And nowadays, obviously, everything's online and stuff. But going back, now that you don't work there anymore, and I'm sure you could say it, what was the worst thing you had to work on while at Canoe Slash Sun? I don't know if worst is the right word, but um, I, when you work in advertorial, you're doing, you know, advertising copy that sort of is supposed to be like real mainstream story okay and so you know you know i got to do the one with the canadian open and and so a big golf oh. supplement and okay. so you know that was really neat but then the flip side is we call them blowjob pieces in <laughs> in newspaper parlance because okay. you know you're really not doing real journalism mm. and but it's a necessary evil anyways i got to do a blowjob piece on the guy who actually ran adults only video Oh, wow. So my byline's not on it, but it was a full-page article uh, that I did uh, about this guy and how Adults Only Video took off. And even that's a bit of an anachronism these days, Adults Only Video. That was when people went to go get videotapes. <laughs> that's crazy. For all you youngsters listening. <laughs> I know. They don't know how easy they have it. <laughs> for everything, not just that. Yeah, but you know, I, I I see it both ways. I understand why you want everything accessible and right at your fingertips. But at the same time, I find that when you wet your appetite and then you leave it a little bit and you, it's like you want more if it's not there. Like, you know what I mean? Or if you have to work for it, because like you said, say you wanted to go even regular videos or even for video games when you wanted to rent stuff like that, when you couldn't download nothing digitally. 
if it was bad weather outside, you'd actually have to think, be like, is it worth it to go? But then you go, you come home, you play it. If it's fantastic or you watch it, it's such a better satisfaction, I find. Nowadays, I don't even, like, I enjoy TV and entertainment, but it's not like how it used to be where I was so excited back in the 90s and early 2000s, if that makes sense. Yeah, but not everything's available online. So That's true, too. There's still, still times I will request a, a DVD maybe from the library. And then, oh, shit. you know, okay. we do... We do still all sit down around together and watch something from the past. Cannonball Run was one I got recently. Okay. I hadn't seen it in forever, and the library had a copy. And I went back in time and watched one of, you know, Burt Reynolds' greatest moments. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, now, you were around. You were already a journalist when the whole internet boom happened, and then Twitter happened, and everyone started becoming their own journalist. What was your thoughts at the beginning of all that era, so to speak? Oh, it was nothing like that at the beginning. Like, I okay. was a day one guy in 1995. In fact, okay. I was the second guy into the office at Canoe uh, after one of the bosses the day we started. And, you know, at that point, everybody was still finding their way. There weren't a lot of citizen journalists at that point. I mean, okay. a lot of people didn't even have email. That's we true. had all kinds of backlash from the people that the sun didn't understand what the internet was, <laughs> what it was going to become. Uh, whether we should even be posting stories at all. Right. So there was a lot of that those first few years, and it really wasn't until, you're talking once broadband became widely available, mm -hmm. uh, 2000, 2001, kind of in that time frame when the game changed. And especially with YouTube, that allowed a lot more people to share things in a different way. And then yeah. that led to the other things we know and love and loathe today like <laughs> facebook and twitter sure so yeah there was there were websites but they were few and far between and and a great example of that is that slamwrestling.net now we don't get a lot of feedback you know but back mm -hmm. when we were running slam wrestling in 96 97 98 like you'd get tons of email like regularly people commenting about stories wanting to know more now it's rare because people can do their own sleuthing. People can do their own. That's true. They may have shared it on social media and you never see that share because they didn't tag you. So it's it's true. just a whole different world that way. Um, there's good and bad to everybody. But the worst thing about the internet in general is that it's allowed people to compartmentalize what they want to know. Mm. A daily newspaper used to come to your your house and we still get one right but the paper would come there and you know a little bit about all kinds of different things sure. now people know a lot about very few things <laughs> and, and but but i mean that's it, it's sad really like you used to know other countries on the planet now this there's been this dumbing down of society in a lot of ways and and <laughs> you know that's great that you can name you know every NFL starting quarterback going back 20 years, but, you know, can you tell me why this is a problem that this law is being passed in, in Mississippi? So, yeah, that that's a different rant for a different day, but uh, to your point, yeah, it changed a lot, but it wasn't certainly at the beginning. There was none of that at the oh, early days yeah. of the internet. It was too cost prohibitive, primarily for people to get websites at the beginning, and then, hmm. even then, you had MySpace and GeoCities and those kind of things that Right, right. basically made crummy websites so you didn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on them yeah no kidding and a lot of companies you're right did not go towards the internet because everyone thought that was going to be a fad like you know how i can't remember what movie i was watching the other day and it was just around like how you said the internet boom was just about to happen and someone said something like oh email me on the internet or something that was the lingo and they're like ah, 
email, internet. That's just another fad. I was like, oh my God. And they were like being serious. And I think the writers actually thought that too. And I was like, looking back now, wow, that's that's hilarious to see. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly it. I, I had to do a lot of explaining to my family, you know, what I was doing. Uh, I, you know, you still find yourself explaining sometimes what you're <laughs> sure, doing, but that's course. okay. Yeah, no kidding. Well, again, going back to the wrestling, you writing as a teenager, when did you first become a wrestling fan? Has this been a, a whole life thing of yours? No. Oh, no, and that's okay. the thing that's it's almost embarrassing to say. It was Hulkamania. Yeah, it ran yeah. wild on me. Me and too, my friend. That, those early days of WWF, you know, taking off in 85, yeah. 86, yeah. 84, 85, 86, when everybody was talking about it in the schoolyard, mm-hmm. that's really what triggered me and got into it. And so I missed out on so much. You know, I've gone back, obviously, in history and sure. learned a lot and watched some. But yeah, I really did miss out on some glory days. I didn't even get to go to a Bear Man McKigney show. My brother went to one, oh, there you go. but I didn't. So it's like, eh. But if I knew now, or, well, how's it go? If I knew then what I know now, it would right. be a whole different, whole different situation. You know what? That's exactly like me. I had a few chances to go watch some old WWF programming at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I always turned it down. And then and now looking back, it's like, you idiot. Like Then looking at the card, it was like the Heart Foundation, the Rockers, Earthquake, Hogan, Macho Man, like all these, oh my God, classic guys. And I never got to watch wrestling at Maple Leaf Gardens. Finally, I went when ROH did it, but it's not Maple Leaf Gardens. It's, yeah, it is, but it isn't like, you know what I mean? It's 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 not the same. <laughs> they did a nice job at the Madame Center. I'll, they I did. will say that. There's a lot of history there, and I've spent a lot of time there. Oh, that's uh, right. I can imagine. Number of years. Yeah, exactly. Now, favorite wrestling moments. You said you don't have, you didn't go back and whatever, but Hulkamania, is that where all your moments thrive from? Or were you an Attitude Era guy as well? I don't know if I have a favorite wrestling moment that I watched. I mean, there's, there's things you remember going live, you know, like just being ringside for like a bloody chain match between Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules Hernandez and Kitchener, you know, that stands out, you know, (laughs) 10 of us from high school, I bought tickets for everybody. Uh, But you know, once you become a journalist, it's a whole different thing. It's about those moments beyond the action in the ring. It's more like the wrestlers, right? They don't necessarily remember the action in the ring the way the fans do. They remember them, the moments outside or, dressing room things or driving to the next city and it's become a lot of that for me is you know like um going out to a friend's wedding in nova scotia Mm -hmm. and finding that there was a local atlantic grand prix show out in berwick nova scotia so my wife and i went out there and it was your total stereotypical small town wrestling show it was awesome the matches itself, I don't remember much. Randy Dupre was there. He was like 14. And oh, wow. he took a massive bump on the floor. But I remember sitting in the back with like Leo Burke, The Beast. Uh, it was the first time I met Frank Parker, who was a referee. Uh, you know, all these different things all came together there in that moment. And, and those are sort of magical moments that it's not being a fan. It's, it's being part of the business as a journalist. It's, mm. a, it's a different thing altogether than what fans go through. And I, I, in a way you sort of miss being a fan. Um, but I can't turn it off. Right. This is my, this has been what I've covered for 30 years. You, You can't just not, you can't be an impartial observer at this point in your life. No, that makes complete sense. Of course. Have you watched anything live recently? Well, there, 
there was a pandemic. Uh, yeah, I well, went to a couple of shows after the pandemic finally lifted, and uh, it was nice to be out at shows, just indie shows. Um, Junction Wrestling was one nearby my house I could walk to. That was great. Awesome. I went to one of the shows out at um, uh, Battle Arts yep. Academy, and that was cool just to see some live action. And um, Yeah, I mean, I don't get into as much as I should, but, you know, that's a personal choice. You know, you got to weigh family life. You got to weigh, you know, real life, what what pays the bills, what you need to do, um, you know, and whatever else is going on in your life. Yeah, no kidding. No doubt, of course. Now, Slam Wrestling, you co-founded it. It's, like you said, 30 years plus going nice and strong. Was always the base supposed to be wrestling? And did you want to evolve to anything else? Or what was the the whole beginning of it? Yeah, okay, that's... sort of misspoke a little bit i might have misled you there a bit okay so it wasn't till 1996 when we started canoe right and slam sports was a part of canoe and there was jam showbiz and and money and and c news all these different sections okay okay and so we had you know slam hockey and slam basketball and so slam wrestling was a natural growth because we already had content because we had bret hart's column in the Calgary Sun, uh, Cyrus uh, did one in the Winnipeg Sun. Well, the Winnipeg Sun came a little bit later. Sure. Uh, there was Mr. X in Ottawa, who was the sports editor, Tim Baines. And then there was uh, Glenn Cole, who was doing the columns in Toronto Sun. Mm-hmm. So we had all these, we had automatic content. So it was just a matter of boosting it a bit. And what I learned was John Powell was one of my colleagues there. And he was a big wrestling fan, too. And soon enough, we just got pulled into it deeper because we quickly realized that the wrestling content got traffic. And in the end, that's what really mattered on the internet. If people are coming to you, you can sell advertising against it. So we were encouraged by the bosses to do more wrestling. And we were fortunate at the time because WWE had an office uh, in Toronto. Right. Uh, So Carl DeMarco would would truck guys through our, our, our office, you know, whether it was Farouk coming in or, uh, doing phoners with a young Hunter Hearst Helmsley or, nice. uh, interviewing Sonny in person. Like, you know, these were great <laughs> opportunities that we got to do simply because we were in Toronto. Right. Oh, that's awesome. So what, what's been the most traffic that you've gotten on an article, negative or positive? Oh, I mean, there's nothing really that can compare to, Owen Hart's death, ah, that was okay. unbelievable. Um, you know, it basically was the top story for days on the entire website. Mm. And then the Chris Benoit stuff would be similar oh, wow. uh, in a different way. Because, sure. you know, that's that many years later, there were that many more places for people to go to get their information. In both those cases, we're working hand in hand with the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the big leg up we had for so many years with Slam is that we could say we were part of this chain with Sun Media. So the Calgary Sun was obviously doing stuff on, you know, Stu Hart's death or, uh, you know, Owen Hart's death and Bret Hart's concussion and all those different things. So we had all this extra content coming in that right. really boosted the slam site. Um, during the pandemic, Sun Media, Post Media decided they wanted to do some cost cutting. So they jettisoned us and, you know, that's their decision. But we did find our a home on our own, slamwrestling.net. Smartly, I had signed a deal way back when that we owned our content. So anything that we wrote, we had the rights to. 
So they had to find, Post Media had to find a way to export all our content. (laughs) And that was part of the issue was they hadn't moved us into WordPress like the rest of the sites because we were a legacy situation. Um, So they still had to find a way to do it. We ended up in WordPress and we're on a, our second host at the moment, WordPress is wonderful to be able to transport and move everything at once. And it's a little bit tougher being on our own, and yet there's also not those corporate overlords. Not that they ever interfered a lot, but right. they did interfere on occasion. Oh, of course. They always have to, right? That's why we call them suits. <laughs> yeah, but wrestling was, it still is to most places. It's like this bastard stepchild. I know. Nobody really talks about it, and yet it's been a part of popular culture. You know, from the nineteen, well, nineteen hundreds, all the way Pretty through, much. right? There's always been some guy who's been a big name, whether it was a Jim Londis or a George Hackenschmidt, or you know, then TV comes along and, and Gorgeous George. Right. So there's always been those people in mainstream, and wrestling's always been there, and yet it doesn't get anywhere near the credit or the love that it deserves from from well, the historians, from culture, people who study culture, all that stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I still don't understand. Again, I'm looking at it the other way because I am a fan myself. So I, I don't understand. It's sort of with me because I'm also into video games. Like Hollywood doesn't look at video games as a multi-billion dollar industry as well. And it's like, why? Just because it either came later or I guess the old guard doesn't understand it. But yeah, I, I uh, two things I love the most is what's looked down upon in entertainment. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and yeah, it just doesn't get the respect it deserves. And you know, uh, so what? I mean, that that gives us a little bit of a <laughs> inferiority complex, and so as wrestling fans and, and video game fans, you probably go out there and you beat your chest a little bit more and, and have to explain <laughs> it to people. Yeah, no kidding. It, that's definitely true. Now, you brought up Benoit. You brought up Owen Hart. Now, I know you said it. You try and write everything out of a you know professional way, but how hard is it to write these sort of articles personally? Um, well, I'd met both Owen and, and Benoit and I had oh. some personal interactions with Benoit where he'd sent me some emails talking about, um, what he'd been going through after Eddie, Eddie Guerrero's death. Oh, wow. And so I, I sort of knew him on a different level. So right. you had to both set that aside, uh, and be a journalist, but yet there are times you do have to write about what you know. And you have to be careful always, whatever you write. But, you know, you're, you're really exposing yourself sometimes. Then there's other times that there are guys who are truly friends. And I can't pretend to be, you know, have been great friends with Owen or Chris Benoit. They both would have known who I was. But, you know, there's local guys like Willie the Wolfman Farkas or Bob Leonard, who was a photographer uh, in, in – Stampede Wrestling and, and right. guys who are great, great friends. And when you write about them, you can't help but feel it or cry. And they both died on the same weekend. Oh, or shit. women's wrestling great Penny Banner dies. And, you know, when my son was born, she's the only wrestler that sent us a present. Wow. She insisted on sending a little thing for us. So it's like awesome. these people become a part of your life. Right. And, you know, you're still a journalist. So it, it's a bit awkward, but it's not any different than you know, like a Rosie DeMano or, or some great sports writer out there, like you're mm-hmm. going to become friends with somebody like a John Gibbons, right? Because that's the right. kind of person he is. He's a easygoing, 
you know, baseball manager and, and you interact with them every day, of course you're going to have a different level of understanding of each other. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Now, is there anything that you've ever turned down or you didn't want to write about that was popular? Uh, well, there's a couple of key turning points in my life. I mean, I got asked to go to, when I was at Canoe, to go do a figure skating, cover oh. the, the Canadian Figure Skating Championship. Okay. <laughs> it's like, well, if I'd gone that way, what would I have done? I once got offered a chance to do a book on the golden curlers that came back oh. from the, what, what Olympics was it? 2002 Olympics. Okay. Uh, and, and again, if I'd gone down that route, how different would my life have been? I don't know. But, you know, in, in those cases, it just didn't feel like it was the right fit, so I didn't do it. And But, I mean, life's full of what-ifs for everybody. Yeah, that's true, it's, of course. And now, on to the Sports Illustrated article, because I really want to touch on this. When I saw this, I had to read it. Fantastic, my friend. Hats off to you. I, I love the way you presented it, because it could have gone down such a different route. But it was like, it's not about bashing the rock or anything or it's just putting out there the story of how this family came together and obviously okay i, I want to start from the beginning because there's so many things i did not know about like i did not know rocky johnson actually had a brother and they wrestled together that blew my mind yeah well i know that i've known ricky for you know almost as long as i've been writing about wrestling so wow probably 32 years so again there there's a bit of an odd one right where you have to set aside your personal um, oh, knowledge sure. in a way those they help you but you have to also walk it back right it can't be too much about ricky because you know you don't want ricky to overtake the article when it was about rocky johnson these kids that he fathered mm-hmm. that he had nothing to do with and there's five at the moment and i know there's a couple of dna tests out there for more wow uh and it was also a bit awkward and personal as you talked about because i'd known so many of the family mm. uh you know i'd met the rock a number of times i knew his mother uh rocky and i had t- rocky johnson and i had talked about doing a book together oh, wow so there there were all these different levels of things that go into this article but that's also how you get an article like that sure you can't just be some rookie guy <laughs> that out of the blue you hear about this and then be able to pitch the sports illustrated right you have to know the right people be trusted enough to get those stories and get it out there well Along the same level, like the Sweet Daddy Siki documentary we did with CBC mm-hmm. only happened because Sweet Daddy trusted me. Ah, okay. So trust is a weird thing in, in the journalism business because sure. um, you can't always put it out there. you got to be able to verify things. you got to be able to back it all up. Right. And with the Sports Illustrated article, it was wonderful working with the, the editor there, Adam Durson. I just learned so much more about fact-checking and and double checking everything and so much carefulness almost to the point of too much carefulness (laughs) if you want the truth because yeah we had to take out things in the article that i thought were perfectly fair but in the end it's their call um but yeah no i'm glad you liked it It, it's definitely changed the lives of the the five people in the article and um it needs an update already i mean like i said there may be more kids out there that were into dna tests um, the one brother, Aaron, mm-hmm. who was in sort of northern British Columbia, finally got to meet uh, his one sister, Lisa. There you go. Half sister, I guess. Right. So, yeah, there, there's progress being made out there. See, because it's, I started off as me being so heartbroken. And then by the end, it was like, okay, then Ricky came in the picture. Then they all started coming together. And then, now, like you said, there's even more continuation. And it's like, 
it sort of ended in a happy ending if you think about it because obviously Rocky's no longer here so he can't be a part of it but at least the siblings got to meet each other and it seemed like from your article that they're all happy to be together they definitely have created a family unique as it is because it's right across the country right right and they're all Canadian too that's the thing that freaked me out (laughs) yeah yeah no exactly Uh, it's it's a bit of an oddity Um, but it, it they're they're all interesting people and have their own lives but you know part of the article was also dealing with their pain and you didn't want to wallow like that's the other thing you want to show their pain but you didn't want the article to really bring you down exactly you wanted to uh, provide some you know information about what they've gone through but not you you also can't editorialize right you Mm. can't empathize in a way you got to let the reader make their own decisions and and they have their own feelings about it and obviously it worked if that's the way you felt yeah exactly so you said you pitched it to sports illustrated now were they gung-ho from the beginning or did it take some you know pulling and being like because again it is the rock and he is a big figure in the entertainment business right i pitched it to a number of different places oh okay uh oh yeah it was about 14 months in the making before it actually saw the light of day now i I probably worked with sports illustrated for about four of those months yeah that's a rough guess but I, I pitched it to some very major places that said no. I went down the road trying to go to, you know, some unique places like, you know, your Rolling Stones and oh. uh, Vanity Fair. Okay. All these things. And I think there was a fear of the rock. Uh, for lack of a better word, he is a very powerful person. Right? Um, and so when we got to Sports Illustrated, there was an element of that in the sense that, you know, the rock's publicist or publicity people mm-hmm. – are very powerful, right? They represent Tom Brady. Wow. Like A-list names, A-plus list names. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they had a lot of power. Once they were informed about the story, they were bugging people above, you know, the heads of the editor I was dealing with. Wow. So they went right to the top to try to learn more about the article. Right. And, and that's their right. I well, mean, we, true. we thought it was only fair to reach out and try to get a comment sure. from Dwayne, and um, he chose not to. And that's fine. Yeah, of course. And again, it's not bashing him at all. And it's not even the sibling. It's not like they want anything from him or whatever. They just wanted to be accepted. And the theme, okay, because I, I can't even come close to this because I have a father, obviously. and But we never had a relationship. Like the man never even taught me anything from like, I don't like, I don't even consider him like a father. He's just father by blood. So I sort of get it where they were coming from, where they like, you know, some acted more macho because they didn't want to seem like a mama's boy and so forth and so on. And I don't know how these children did it, but they all came together. And it was, again, just fantastic bow tie right at the end. And I get once a lot more hats off to you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, a lot of it is trying to figure that out, too, because I grew up with a father and a good father. In fact, we're traveling shortly uh, on a little vacation together, even though he's 84 and he's oh, a bit congrats. tired to hang around. But I was fortunate that way, and a lot of people aren't. And right. there's a lot of people that shared that pain of the article, like you, that they, they saw themselves in there. It's like, you know, this guy wasn't all that different than my dad. Or, or there's mothers that abandoned their yeah, children, that's too. You can't just generalize. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it hit a lot of nerves with a lot of people. But I think in the end, family trumps all. And that's that was a nice message to be able to deliver. Yeah, no, no kidding, no kidding. No, how's been the feedback in general? Has it all been positive or? Um, 
from my perspective, it's been mostly positive. Okay, There's good. a few people that questioned it or, oh. you know, think that they're, that I'm only out to do something with a rock or, <laughs> you know, of or course. whatever it is, right? Like, there's obviously <laughs> going to be a few naysayers. Sure. I haven't experienced a lot of that, but I know some of the kids have taken a little bit of grief that exactly that. They're money grubbers. They're just out for publicity. They're only out for themselves. And that's really unfortunate, and misses sort of the spirit of the article that they all came together, and everybody deserves a family, and and that they found theirs late in life is is still a family, uh, you know. But the the best thing for me, the heartening thing, was hearing from fellow journalists. Oh, that's probably the the nicest thing is that you hear from people that really respect the work, then went into it, awesome. whereas you didn't get a lot of retweets from the wrestling world because, right. again, people don't want to piss off the rock. Sure. You know, and, and maybe they're they're taking names and, <laughs> and, and keeping track of, of who's on the wrong side of their belief of history. I don't know. You never know. And that's not for us to, like we said, not for us to really make a call on. Right. But there's definitely an element of that that you, you're disappointed in the way that this was a bigger story. Why weren't some of these people who knew Dwayne, mm-hmm. uh, who knew Rocky, why aren't they supporting the story more? It's a good-hearted story. Yeah, exactly. So people could check it out. It's on Sports Illustrated. Google it. It's everywhere. It's easy to find. And it's a nice little read. It'll probably take you five, ten minutes. So you could it's, do it. It's a longer read, yes. It's definitely it's their daily cover, as they call it. So it was allowed to go a little bit longer. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> now, on, on to another wrestling topic. You're also writing Medusa's biography, which is due out next year? Is this correct? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's called the, the. We only just revealed the cover this week. Oh, nice. Uh, it was um, the woman who would be king? Oh, Medusa. There you go. The Medusa story, and uh, she's a remarkable woman. I can't wait for everybody to read this story. Uh, she had an insane life, a lot of ups and downs, and of and course. again, we talk about family pluses and minuses. She's had her share of that too. And the wrestling stuff alone makes for a great book. But then to make the jump into Monster Truck. Right. And what we found is, you know, there's never been an autobiography done on anybody sort of from the Monster Truck world talking about the behind the scenes personal stuff. And so from that perspective, I hope it blows open a lot of doors. Uh, And then there's all the other things that she's done in her life, whether it's – you know, pushing different products, whether it's her marriages, whether it's raising wolves oh, on her property <laughs> in, in Florida. Like, it's just crazy. And so I love it. I, I've i learned to I, 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 that I'm a trusted friend of hers. Unbelievable. Oh, there you go. The 17-year-old me that used to watch her on AWA. Can't I was going to say, this. right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's it's awesome and i'm looking forward to seeing her at the cauliflower hourly club uh, reunion coming up in a couple weeks after the show airs oh that's nice nice to hear so again you said you've been friends with her for a while but was there anything that no no in fact it came out of the blue um oh i did john arezzi's book okay and john had another interesting life it was just about wrestling i don't think i would have done done john arezzi's life but he was in baseball okay he did wrestling uh, he promoted wrestling. He did a wrestling talk show. Right. And then he went into country music and oh. was a promoter of country <laughs> music and, and like represented and, and discovered Patty Loveless, discovered Kelsey Ballerini. Wow. Uh, all these sort of big name people. Right. And so he had a really neat life. And he was talking at some point to Medusa. And then out of the blue, ah. she called me and said, I've been working on this book for 30 years. Can you help me finish it? So 
it was pandemic time, so okay, yeah. you know it was a little bit different working <laughs> on it, and we didn't get to meet till months into the process. Sure. So that's a little different than most autobiographies, but you know we made it work, and uh, it's out there. And yeah, it, I've been down to Florida to check out her stuff. We met at the Vegas at the CAC last year. It's it's yeah, she's a treasured friend at this point. Oh, that's awesome. But what was the, okay, you don't have to say it because I don't want to ruin the book, but was there a moment when she was telling a story and your jaw just dropped and like, oh my God. <laughs> many times. But oh, man. Not, Even many better. Maybe that's not in the book, right? You have to, <laughs> part of being a biographer is knowing when to walk things back. Ah, and okay. again, you know, if you're a 20 year old journalist coming out of school, it's a different thing knowing when to pull things back than when you're 50 something and have experienced a lot of life you there are things you take out right there's names you take out to protect maybe they're not innocent but for whatever reason names are out of there uh yeah just but the thing about deb medusa is just how nonchalant she can be about yeah and then i went and jumped out of a plane (laughs) or you know then i raised wolves and it's like well back up Wait, That's what's funny. this? And then it's like, and, and then at some point she's like, oh yeah, I went crocodile hunting once. It's oh like, my goodness. Like, like stop. You got to tell me these stories. Just don't drop them on me willy nilly. <laughs> so that's probably the best way to describe it is, is yeah, she just has lived such an amazing, full, insane life that she often, I'm not sure, she knows it's not normal. Right. But she doesn't necessarily know sometimes how crazy it all is. And so she just sort of glosses over things that most of us want to spend days just hearing about. Right. So it was a challenge fitting a lot of that into the book, (laughs) to say the least. And it's not, the best way to describe it is it's not a traditional A to B to C kind of autobiography. It jumps around a lot, which is very much like Deb. Right. And so it takes a little bit of getting used to to get into. And, but then I think it finds a good rhythm and, and people will be quite happy with it. I couldn't have done that book, um, you know, if it was my first book. Let's put it that way. Oh, I, gotcha. I've grown as a writer and as a person that sure. I know I have the empathy, I have the writing skills, all those kind of things that really helped this book come to be what it is. Oh, that's awesome. These guys actually have a release date yet or still hasn't, that hasn't yeah, been Yeah, well, it, it oh. should be out. I hope it'll be out for WrestleMania. Oh, there you um, go. They, they announce a date. There's a, like Publishers always announce a date sure. because they have to have an announced date. But often okay. the, the books get out there well before that. They might be at Amazon first. It, it depends on publishing schedules and print schedules. And it's just, it's a bit of a nebulous world that I don't fully understand. But mm. there's certainly a case where, yeah, things can be out earlier than anticipated. Well, I'm going to for sure check this out because this sounds like a perfect, I was going to say movie, but beyond a movie, this is a perfect, like a three, four season series for that, for example, <laughs> like on a Netflix or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly how she envisions it all. Yeah. Oh, that's how, well, I hope it, it does come out to that because yeah, it does sound awesome. And another person, you mentioned it, John Gibbons, you have that project also dropping in 2023, uh, Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer. How did all this come about? Again, it's all through John Arezzi. I do owe him a lot. There you go. That's uh, if I end up doing, you know, Patty Lovis's book, then then that would be massive. But uh, <laughs> the just the, the idea that you know Gibby wrote the forward for one of the forwards for John Arezzi's book, okay. and you know, at some point, you know, Gibby wasn't working a lot. The pandemic certainly gave him a lot of time to think about things. Sure. 
he was a scout for the Braves and wasn't there was no baseball to go scout. <laughs> so he got thinking a lot about things to do, and so the book project came back up. Right. And I got introduced to him, and, and a lot because of John Arezzi, I got a chance to work with Gibby. Went down there. He laid on the couch for three days and told me stories. Wow. And that was the start of that project, which is a little bit more of a traditional autobiography in the sense that sure. you sit down with somebody and, and they pour everything out to you and then you follow up again and again and again. Mm. And Gibby's very different than Medusa and it was crazy <laughs> to work on. I use that word a lot, crazy, but to work on both projects at once and that they're both coming out at the same time I is know, right? remarkable and, and the reason for all my gray hair. <laughs> so now, are you a huge baseball fan or are you leisure? I've, I've been a big sports fan my entire life. So it was really cool to talk to Gibby about, you know, those 86 Mets oh, that he was a part of. Shit, uh, that's right. Guys he knew growing up, uh, you know, that he watched in the 70s. Somebody like Gary Carter, uh, he was, you know, such a big fan of and, and ended up playing with. And Gary Carter was one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Those Expos teams of 79 to 83, 84 that really should have won something. Uh, so yes, I've always been a big sports fan, and I've done those hockey books. And yeah, that's another thing. Too. My brother's huge in the basketball, so we've always watched basketball. Oh, wow. uh, you know, there's just a lot of different things over the years. Uh, <laughs> sports have been a major thread throughout my life. Now I got to know, my friend. When I was younger, I had all the time in the world to watch everything. I'd sit down, watch every football game on Sunday, do you know, do my betting and all that. Same thing, basketball, hockey, everything. Now as I gotten older. And I don't know how you do it because you have kids and the whole family and I, I don't even have kids and I can't do it. I had to slowly shed some stuff away. Like baseball fell to the sideline. Like I haven't watched a baseball game in years. I know the Jays are doing good this year and they're, it's very hopeful. So maybe I'll come back. But the only thing I really watch is MMA and basketball. Like I, I'm not even a hockey fan anymore. Like I have to give up my Canadian passport. <laughs> no, you don't. It, it's... That, that's a bit of a stereotype. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily watch. I follow. Is is the better? Even that. It's so hard. Like all the today. names and everything. Shit. Yeah, there's there's a lot. My, my son. My son's a big part of it. He's 15. Oh, that's perfect. He, he's a huge yeah. sports fan. Okay. So we've been able to go to Grey Cups together. We've been oh, able nice. to go to wrestling together. It's like you know, hey Quinn, let's skip school this afternoon and go meet Bob. Go meet Bobby Orr. Oh, so. There you go. <laughs> He's, he's been fortunate that way, and, and so that keeps my life uh, hopping a little bit that way. And so often it's not necessarily um, devouring the games. It's more about absorbing what happened, right? Maybe uh, there's highlights the next morning. Sure. Maybe it's reading the morning paper, which is still a big part of my routine. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and it, it's, yeah, I, I pick and choose, right? If it's playoffs, it's a little different, right? You can invest a little bit more in that. That's true, too. Uh, Cleveland Browns fan, Argos fan, so we try to make a little bit more time for those. Right. Even though it's sometimes being let down and allowing a lot of pain and suffering into your life. You know what? Maybe that's my problem. I don't want to toot my horn, but I've seen every single professional team that I follow win their major championships. So I'm an Eagles fan, I'm a Penguins fan, I'm a Jays fan, and I'm a Raptors fan. So there you go. <laughs> maybe that's why I fell off. And maybe it's just not the time factor. <laughs> There's nothing else to accomplish in your life. (laughs) I'm done. That's it. That's why I love MMA now because it's not like I have a favorite fighter. I watch it because of the whole spectacle and everything. And like, you know what I mean? Are are you a huge MMA fan yourself? Is that one of the sports you follow or no? No. And and again, that's sort of those, one of those little what ifs. 
Ah, I could have gone down that road, but okay. it just really never interested me. And I, I can't really? really explain it. Yeah, that's yeah. so weird because it's an easy transition from pro wrestling to MMA. Like, you know, that's what really did it for me, especially when, like, the likes of Ken Shamrock started coming in. That's what made me start watching the early days of the UFC. Yeah, and I, again, like, it's just the, the what if. I remember following a lot of that through the Wrestling Observer. Oh, and, okay. you know, you watch a little bit and just it just never really hooked me. I, I don't know. I don't explain it. What's your favorite sport to watch then, if you had a choice? Uh, well, it's football. Oh, okay. I, I love the, cere- the cerebralness of football, just in general. Um, you know, the, the, the way you have to really think about what the next moves are. It's the chess match kind of idea of it. Uh, hockey is better live. Uh, football is better on TV. That's you know, cool. all, all those different things. You know, I like I said, I'm a sports fan. We're fortunate to live in this wonderful world where – you know, you can watch almost any game you want, anytime you want, I including know. some from the past. No, that's so true. Now, you said you also like to go watch CFL games. Do you think we w- there should be an NFL team in Toronto? No. No, there won't ever be. Nobody's got the money to build a new stadium. Oh, you know, especially true. with the Rogers Center, like the Jays announced, they're retrofitting it yep. uh, to make it more of a baseball park. So it's going to be oh. impossible to ever do football there. And BMO Field is a great place to go watch the Argos. I wish more people came out. I wish I could get out more. Yeah. But, you know, you got to also pick and choose your finances, what you can do, when you can do it. Uh, that's life, right? It's, you know, you got to <laughs> work it all out. And, yes, it, CFL is a big part of the city, but not as big a part of it as it could, would, should be. Well, again, it's because we have so many sports and everyone is majority like a Leafs fan. Like, uh, I'm sure you're a Leafs fan yourself. And it's like, I don't know. I've never been a Leafs fan in my life. Like, I've never had to go through the hardships or anything. And I don't know how you guys still do it and still hang on and think how every year it's going to be different. Like, how is it being a Leafs fan, to tell you the truth? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can still picture that the one when they gave up the... The four goals to the Bruins in the last, you know, in the in game seven there, because my son was probably I don't know seven at the time, six. And okay. Just, you know the the, the the little lips start to go and the eyes start to tear up. It's like how did they do this? It's like yeah, it's a game. I, I guess I it, that's partly the journalism part of me is like uh, with a lot of things you can step back and just sure. accept it. It's a game. You know these guys are being paid money to do it. It, it the money's become a lot bigger, obviously. But it's not life or death. Mm. And the other day I sat in on a seminar with journalists that actually went through true trauma. Oh, wow. You know, whether they've been in war zones or oh, okay. covering, you know, really horrible stuff. It's like, you know, I get to write about wrestling. I get to write <laughs> about sports. My life is pretty darn cushy compared to some of that. doesn't mean there's not bad things that happen and, and um, things you learn about people that change your impression of them. Right. But by and large, I feel like I've been pretty blessed with my life. No, that's awesome. And you've had a nice long career now. Is there anything that you still want to write about? Or is there that unicorn you still want to grab onto before uh, you hang up your pen, so to speak? Well, it was the one the one I did that was sort of outside of the wheelhouse. I did a autobiography, or sorry, I did a biography on an old actor named Billy Van. Oh, okay. Who was in the Hilarious House of Frankenstein, did all kinds of stuff on the early days of CBC. Mm. Uh, he was a part of all kinds of educational shows, and I worked with his family to sort of piece together his life. Okay. And we had the basis of a unpublished 
uh, autobiography that he wrote where he left out like scods and stuff like just so much mm-hmm. um, so doing that was awesome because I got to learn about a whole different element of society and entertainment and talk to people that you'd watched in different ways right uh, maybe it was like the Sheila McCarthy or uh, uh, I got to talk to Pam from who's in Strange Brew like you know all oh, these wow. different people I never thought I would have ever interacted with. <laughs> sure. And so that was really cool. And it also sort of stoked my desire to do I, that. I can write about anything. Okay. And so when, you know, the Medusa stuff comes along and I'm writing about monster trucks or I'm writing about baseball, I'm sure that if somebody came along to me tomorrow and says, I need an autobiography on a, on a comedian or a, or a musician or something, I know right. I could do the job. So awesome. life is about, I don't know what's next. And so there's always something I'm working on, but there's not another huge project directly right in front of me at the moment, at least not one that I can talk about. Oh, that's awesome. Well, okay, before we get to the word story of the week, you also have a couple of children's books. Again, why and how did this come to be? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had a kid that would go to these sports card collectible shows with me, and we'd be selling my hockey books there. And, you know, you just sort of talk to him about it one day. It's like, you know, I want to write a book. So Quinn and I sat down, and we came up with Duck with the Puck, which was about a hockey-playing duck based on his stuffy, his favorite stuffy. And uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Delph published it herself and sent it out to a few key people. So you got some feedback blurbs from like Don Cherry and Roy McGregor. And it was just awesome interacting with these people. And so Quinn was able to sell these things at events. Like we did a Titans in Toronto dinner uh, with old wrestlers. And he would be going up to people selling his book, like getting 10 bucks out of them to get a book at the dinner. And so it's a a wonderful memory. Uh, The other one I did Santa's day job mm-hmm. has to do with you know just the same idea right talking to kids and, and having a kid and I just had this story in me that I sat down and wrote up and you know they're not particularly successful in the sense that you know we haven't sold a ton of copies but right. so what it's like I felt I, need, I needed to do it to get it out of me and see maybe that was my calling it, it is fun uh, all these things are available of course at <laughs> oliverbooks.ca uh, you can Google my name, of course, too, and come across that, but oliverbooks.ca and slamwrestling.net. You were going to ask me to plug stuff anyway, right? Well, of course I am. Come on. What kind of podcaster am I? I, I don't only plug my stuff. <laughs> I'd be a shitty host if I did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I just also know at this point i got to fit in anywhere you can. <laughs> no, so of course. five-minute interviews, you got to go quick. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Now, what's been your proudest moment as a writer? That's a weird. It's it's awesome to be honored by your peers. So there's the Melby Award from the Tragos Thes Hall of Fame in Iowa. Okay. That Steve Johnson and I shared for contributions to wrestling journalism. Nice. There's the Melby Award from the College Rally Club for contributions to pro wrestling history. Mm-hmm. And I got an award, the Bill Fitzsill President's Award from the Society for International Hockey Research which was pretty great um, for my contributions to that organization. And again, those are your peers, and that means a lot when you're hearing from them. But there's also something to be said for being asked to speak at somebody's funeral. Oh, um, wow. So, like, Reggie, Rotten Reggie Love was an old wrestler out of Hamilton. Okay. 
Uh, his family asked me to speak at his funeral about his wrestling days and tell some Reggie stories. Uh, there was another guy, Roly Dugay, uh, who was the bear man's best friend and drove the bus for all the boys and speaking at his funeral. So there's a few little things like that, that, you know, that's a whole different memory, a whole different honor. Right. And, and of course it, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, that you're a journalist, but you're also a human being. And yeah. uh, sometimes it's hard to differentiate them. Uh, and sometimes they come together in a truly beautiful fashion, like like those moments where you get to share those with other people. No, of course. And I, I got to know, too, there's so many shitty journalists out there, so many slimy ones. When you actually have to interact with them, how's your demeanor with them? Or do you tell them or do you just try and, you know, do you and that's it? um yeah it's it's there can be a lack of respect but that's in any business right it's not just journalism no i try not to be a a rude person but there's also people that you know you're not going to spend a lot of time with and you find a way to excuse yourself (laughs) somewhat uh professionally uh it it is it is a tough line to walk isn't it because yeah not everybody has earned the right to my time and that sounds egotistical and I don't really mean it to be, but you know, if you know, you're not good to me, I'm not going to be good to you, plain and simple. And you know what? I totally agree. Cause that's sort of how I live my life. Like it's not that I'm an asshole, but if you're, like you said, you're giving your time, you're doing this, you're doing that. And if it doesn't go both ways, it's, it's the sort of respect thing, right? At least have a little bit of respect if anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that parents try to instill in their kids or they should. Right. Right? Respect has got to come first. You'd hope so. Nowadays, not so much, my friend. (laughs) All I can speak about is my kid and, uh, you know, the kids I know. Yeah. There's a little bit of that for sure. There you go. All right. Ready for the... But I've been a scout leader my entire life. So part of the idea is instilling some of those value in these kids, right? Well, good for you. It's good to know that there's still a little bit of goodness in this world. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of goodness. We just we often get inundated with the bad I know. stuff. That is so, and the bad stuff's easier to look at sometimes. That's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. All right, ready for speaking of bad stuff. You ready for the weird story of the week? <laughs> All right, I'm listening. All right, well, this week's story comes from the UK, where a guy had a USB cable stuck in his body. Would you care to guess in which part of his body, my friend? I don't think he swallowed it, so does that mean it was up his uh, up his butt? No, but pretty close. And oh, this is... I did hear the story. I think you said that now. It was oh, did penis, you? Wasn't it? Yes, so this guy decided it would be a good idea. Okay, being a wrestling fan, this is why I think everything is fake. so th- Or a work, so to speak. So this guy decided it would be a good idea to measure the inside of his penis. Not the outside, but the inside. My question is why? So many stupid people in the world. But it doesn't exactly say how he did it, but it did say that it was so in there and so intertwined that they had to go through his taint and cut through there and pull out the cord through that manner because if they went the other way, then he wouldn't have a penis. Hi. Okay. That's a disturbing thought for the day. Thanks for leaving me on that. (laughs) And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. Oh man, but it's it's so weird what people do and nowadays like and apparently nowadays this is regular in ER situations where someone has something sexually 
inserted in their body and they've been taking but this is actually the first time anyone could recall it being a usb cable so he did have a record of some sort so at least he has that but he's okay everything went fine and you know in the end everything was you know a-okay yeah all right (laughs) now have you ever been to dr for anything embarrassing no yeah me neither i think the only thing is i had my tooth chipped and at the time my mom used to cut my hair god bless her soul and it was the bowl cut so i literally looked like lloyd christmas from dumb and dumber and as a child everyone called me lloyd after and it was so embarrassing and i hated it but i guess that's more embarrassing than weird if you think about it (laughs) yeah that was exactly it (laughs) well greg thank you for your time my friend really appreciate it now's the time to shine go ahead plug anything and everything you want to promote my friend (laughs) well i already mentioned oliverbooks.ca uh, slamwrestling.net um, and the uh, Medusa book and the John Gibbons book are, are coming out in the spring from ECW Press uh, so go get those books uh, we hope to have signings of course many places when uh, when those books are out socials anything else oh yeah well <laughs> oliverbooks.ca you just head there yeah I've got Twitter and uh, Instagram go. Yeah, that's the best place to find me. It's Greg Mep, G-R-E-G-M-E-P. Nice. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the Podcast Dap. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the thepodcastdap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them all, most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Okay, one last thing before I let you go. I know you don't really watch today's product, but I know you've been hearing about it. It's been the biggest thing in professional wrestling since the actual pipe bomb. What do you think of all this backstage drama in AEW? Um, well, it's not a work. I'll, I'll say that. It's definitely an example of inmates sort of running the asylum. Mm. And we've always heard about how Vince McMahon keeps such a tight ship. And so I think it was a little bit of the opposite uh, in that end. And so was it destined to happen? I don't know. Maybe not. With different personalities, it might not have. But I think we're only just slowly learning more and more uh, about some of the backstage stuff going on there. So I guess we just keep watching and learning and, uh, you know, you shrug your head a little bit or you shrug your shoulders a little (laughs) bit and go, well, okay, it's wrestling. It's, It's a bit crazy. Yeah, no kidding. And again, still being a wrestling fan, there's still that 0.01% where I think it is a work. And if it is, this is the greatest storyline of all time. (laughs) It's up there, yeah. It's up there. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) On that note, he's Greg. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.